Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The God-man, the perfect Son of God, there were things that made him angry. So if Jesus can get angry, you can get angry. There's a time for righteous anger, righteous indignation. This was one of those times. Nehemiah heard what was going on, and he was angry that this was happening. He was angry that these things were going out. And he does something very wise. Verse 6 says he became very angry. But before any action takes place, what are the first three words of verse 7 say? After serious thoughts. Have you ever been angry at someone? Have you ever felt guilt for experiencing this emotion? Today, Pastor Bill explains that anger is never an emotion that you should feel ashamed for feeling. We all mess up no matter how perfect we strive to be, and experiencing anger is a normal human experience. If you want to experience a new sense of control in anger and other emotions, the answer is God's perfect grace. Human wisdom will always fail you. Let Him into your life and be made new. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Well, let me give a little recap. Uh, Again, we're going to cover Nehemiah chapter 5. Something we've seen throughout the study of the book of Nehemiah is that as soon as Nehemiah set his foot down to do the work, what happened? Opposition came immediately. If you guys remember, it says, uh, you know, we talked about this several times, but the enemy didn't show up when he had a burden for the work. The enemy didn't show up when he started praying about the work. But as soon as he put his foot to the floor to begin the work, it says Samballat Tobiah. What we've witnessed as we continue through the book of Nehemiah is that the, the number of enemies has grown. Amen. So first it was Samballat Tobiah. Then it was Samballat Tobiah and the Arabs. Last week, it was Samballat Tobiah, the Arabs, a whole army. You know, he had a whole gang of people coming against him. And this is what I want you to note. Though the opposition was great, because they stayed focused on the work, the work was in no way hindered by the opposition that came at them. And so they continued to be faithful, moving forward, making progress. The work was not hindered. As we get to Nehemiah chapter 5, I titled the chapter, Attack from Within. And we'll see that one of the most effective strategies of the enemy to divide God's people, to hinder the work that God is doing in and through the lives of his people is when division comes from within the body of Christ. And so uh, tonight we're going to see that it's not the outside enemy that hinders them. They end up having some inner turmoil and that ends up hindering the work for a period of time. And so everybody look at Nehemiah chapter five, starting at verse one. I'm going to read the first few verses. It says, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. You might mark that. The outcry was against their own people. We'll come back to that. Verse two, for there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. Let me stop right there. The first hint or clue at the fact that we got a problem is that the outcry uh, was against their own Jewish brethren. These are the people God had called together to do the work, to build the walls, to work together. And they were having some beef with each other. I'm going to explain the beef and then we'll read through it. I think it'll, it'll, you'll catch it as we go through it. So here's the issue that happened among the Jews. There were many that had become poor. Uh, They had just come out of a time of exile 
They had come back from Babylon into their land. So many of them were broke. They didn't have anything. Uh, They didn't have very much. Now, because they were focused on working on the wall, they weren't working. They weren't doing agriculture. They weren't, they were all focused on the work here. And so they also weren't making an income. Now, they're also among the poor Jews. There's some wealthy Jews. And the wealthy Jews, some of the nobles and rulers, those that are that have, they begin to take advantage of their Jewish brethren. And so there was a time of famine, food was very expensive. I'm gonna just be the bad guy. I'll be one of the Jewish rulers or nobles. And let's say Antony was uh he was one of the broke guys that was down there. He came and said, Bro, I need grain for my family. I said, I'm gonna loan you this 12%. Um, I need some interest on what I'm giving you, 12% on that. And so he was like, well, I don't got no choice. I got to get it. So he took it, even though it was a bad deal. Now, are believers supposed to loan to believers with interest? We'll come to that in just a minute. There are verses that say that that's, that's not what they were supposed to do. But he took it because it was the only deal available to him. Now he defaults on his loan. He can't pay me back in time. So I'm saying, bro, you can't pay me back. In that era, when you couldn't pay back a loan, guess what they would take from you? Your children. Some of y'all are like, really? <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, they, they would take your children. So Anthony's broke. He defaulted on the loan he took from me. And so he's got a couple of kids. I said, I'm going to need those kids to come serve until your debt is paid off. Um, now, how many of you would be heartbroken if your kids had to be sold into slavery because you, you were upon hard times? Well, that was happening to many of them not just one or two. And the problem wasn't, it happened that non-believers took advantage, but it were also their Jewish brethren taking advantage in that way. And so Nehemiah, we're going to see as we go through the chapter, Nehemiah is actually taking resources to buy Jews out of slavery from pagans. And he says, why should I have to buy them out of slavery from you? We family. And so that's a contention that's happening in Nehemiah chapter five. And so it's going to bring a halt to the work, like I said. So look at verse 1 again. The outcry of the Jewish people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. And if you're a note taker, you can write down Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. I'll read it to you. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. And what's happening here is as they were... Just last chapter, two chapters ago, chapter three, they were all working on the wall. The wall was going up. Chapter four, they were all working and defeating the enemy. They had a trial in one hand, a sword in the other, and the wall was going up and the joints were getting filled together. But now the work has stopped because they're like, man, you took advantage of me. And now my kids are in slavery and I can't get my kids back. And me and my wife are having a hard time with this. And they're they've turned on each other. And the work that they have been called to do has come to a halt. Now look at verse two. It says, for there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. And so that was what they were crying out. They were saying, look, we got a lot of kids and we need grain so we can eat. They weren't asking for extras. They weren't saying we want cell phones and fresh clothes. They were like, we just want grain to eat. I want us to understand that they wanted, they were, what they were requesting was bare minimum. We want bread. We want to be able to eat and live. Nothing extravagant that they were going after. Verse three, it says, there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So some people had vineyards, which is your moneymaker. 
lands. They were agricultural society. That was your moneymaker. And then their actual homes, and they had mortgaged their lands and homes um, because the famine was so severe, and that was what they had to do in order to buy grain. Verse 4, there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. So even though there was a time of famine, they weren't relieved of the king's tax. They still had to come up with that and pay it. And so uh, they had borrowed money, some of them, to pay the king's tax because, you know, they were broke and they didn't have the money to be able to pay it. Now, verse five, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And so uh, everybody here that's a parent, I just want you to feel this for a minute. Um, um, you've lost your children. They've been taken away into slavery. Any dads here, they said specifically, he says, our daughters, some of our daughters. Now, don't no man want his daughter taken away into slavery, especially not by pagans or anybody else. What are they going to do to my daughter? All those thoughts are there. And so that's what they're dealing with. And so if you could imagine as a mom and dad would be hot about this, uh, they would be upset. They would be disturbed. They would be, I don't feel like building a wall right now because I wouldn't be in this situation if you hadn't charged me with interest. If you hadn't asked me for more than, you know, what was reasonable, I wouldn't be in this predicament or in this situation. Now, that's the, this is the turmoil. This is the issue that's happened. This is why the work of God has come to a halt. So, if I can pause here for you and I and just say, all of us here, uh, we're New Testament saints, believers in Jesus, and we've been called to do a work for the Lord. Amen. We have to be so careful knowing that what we've been called to do, uh, we want to be so careful that we're not, I'm not dividing against brothers and sisters. I'm not going to war with the saints. Right now, there's all this stuff going on. And I said, one of the things that we do in, in the list of three things we don't want to do we don't want to fear. We don't want to worry. Well, the third thing was, this is not a good time for the church to be dividing. This is a bad time for this one group to be putting down another group or to be talking smack on social. This is just a, it's always a bad time for that, especially right now when the world is in need of hope. They need to hear the message that we've been called to preach, the message of the gospel. That's what the church needs to come together and just say, look, let's just do what we've been called to do. This is a great hour for the gospel to go forth in power. But one of the things that will hinder that is if our energies begin to be spent on devouring and biting and going after one another, if we're hurting each other, taking advantage of each other, it'll bring the work to a halt. And so I know the division breaks the heart of God. It grieves his heart um, because we're the body of Christ. We're his body. And so when his body gets divided, it's a misrepresentation of him to the world. We've been called to represent him to a lost and dying world. And so um, when we divide, we misrepresent that to a, a lost and dying world. And so now moving on, look at verse six. Nehemiah is the leader. And being the leader, he's emotional about what's going on. It says, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Is it wrong to be angry? No, it's not. The Bible says be angry, but don't sin. Amen. So it's okay. There were times where Jesus the God-man, the perfect son of God, there were things that made him angry. So if Jesus can get angry, you can get angry. There's a time for righteous anger, righteous indignation. 
This was one of those times. Nehemiah heard what was going on, and he was angry that this was happening. He was angry that these things were going out. And he does something very wise. Verse 6 says he became very angry. But before any action takes place, what are the first three words of verse 7 say? After serious thought. So I'm very angry. He didn't say, therefore, I just did this. He said, I was very angry. He took a moment. He took some time to think. I'm hoping he said a prayer. But he didn't just go from anger to action. He took some time after serious thought. I would say, anybody here, uh, when you're angry, you need to probably take a minute. I know for me, um, you could ask my wife, you could verify this. It's a fact. If I'm angry or upset, I silence myself. I'll tell my wife, I'm not in a place to talk. I should be quiet right now. You know why? Because I've never sinned with my mouth shut. The potential to say the wrong thing is with me always. But if I just can keep my mouth shut till Jesus get a hold of me, sometimes I'll be quiet long enough and God is like, you just all, that was all you. you. You're tripping. Other times, I settle down and spend some time in prayer and God's like, no, you need to deal with that. that, that is, I'm angry about that too. And this is how you need to deal with it. But at least I move forward not in raw emotion or flesh. We want to be led by the Spirit in how we deal with difficult things. This is a difficult thing. Nehemiah is a leader. He's the representation. He's the guy that's got to pull this thing back together because the work must go on. But this issue has got to be dealt with. So he's very angry. And in verse 7, after serious thought, he rebukes those that are at fault. He rebukes the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. So let's talk about this. When is it okay to rebuke somebody? There are people that, that struggle with that. You know, there are people that don't like, the, that's a strong word to the rebuke, right? It's, a, it's biblical, it's confrontational, but there's a time for rebuke. And Nehemiah says, right now, this is a time to rebuke. What you guys are doing is wrong. He rebuked them for it and he did it publicly. He called a great assembly against them. So let me give you this. This is when we're considering when we should rebuke somebody. These are Jews. They're under the covenant, right? These aren't non-believers. These aren't pagan people. These are people that are in the covenant of Jehovah. They know the law. They know the rule of God and they're violating it. And so he says, I'm going to confront you on that. Let me give you two scriptures. If you're a note taker, please write these down. Exodus 22, 25. This is the law of God to the Jews. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. That's pretty straightforward. Amen. Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20. Uh, it says, you shall not charge interest to your brother. Interest on money for food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner, you may charge interest, but to your brother, you shall not charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land in which you are entering to possess. The time to rebuke is when those that know the Lord, that are in relationship with the Lord, are in clear violation of the word of God. Amen. So as believers, if Clint saw me do something that was out of line, there would be an expectation that Clint would say, hey, bro, let me let me talk to you. And he would rebuke me. Is rebuke mean? No, no. Rebuke is necessary, right? If we're doing the wrong thing, and sometimes it's the loving thing to do, to call a brother to, to the side and say, hey, bro, what you're doing is wrong. Look, God says this, and you're doing that. I want to confront you on that. Give them an opportunity to repent. 
to change, to get things right. So um, rebuke is necessary at times. And Nehemiah is the leader. And so he's the guy that needed to step in and right this wrong, make this right. Now, look at verse eight. It says, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Nehemiah is saying, look, we've been redeeming Jewish people out of slavery, out of bondage from the pagans. Are you going to sell me a Jew? Are you going to sell me back? You know, I have to buy from you somebody out of bondage. And he's saying, man, that's, this is wrong. For one, you guys have already, you guys have been wrong in that you took interest from them. Now they're in this predicament. Now you've taken them, you've taken your own people as slaves. And so imagine that you're doing the work on the wall and you lost your kids. And the guy you lost your kids to was down the wall over here. He's got your, he got your little, your little son and daughter and they're with him. And you're supposed to go, how do you continue to do the work when you're like, oh, my kids over there, man, he, he got me. He got me for interest, and now he's got my kid. That would be hard to just move forward uh, in the face of all that. And so Nehemiah is saying, man, this has to stop. We got to get these things right. Uh, and again, it's so that the work could continue. Um, Nehemiah is going to challenge him in a moment. And the error and what's wrong here is that they, they've obviously broken God's command. They've broken his, his law, but they're not walking in love towards one another. That's the issue. When they saw, when the wealthy saw their brother in need, they should have extended their hand. They should have extended a hand of generosity. Nehemiah is going to close the chapter showing us, not boastfully, but showing us his own generosity. As an example, he's going to show us how he didn't take advantage when he could have and how he's fed many people that he didn't have to. And he's laying an example for them because they, they're not being generous to one another. And so something we should consider, right? If you're in the position, let's say God has blessed you financially. You want to be careful how you manage that. You don't want to use the position of strength to take advantage of those that are weak. God doesn't like that. Everywhere you look in scripture, God is always for those that are oppressed, those that are pushed down. You want to make sure that if you're in a position over, that you're not an oppressive sort of person. In fact, if God has blessed you to have, you want to be a benevolent person. You want to be someone that has an eye for the needy that is a heart for the hurting and that you take what God has blessed you with and you're being a blessing to others in that way. Moving on now to verse nine, it says, I'm sorry, the, the end of verse eight, it says, now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? And it says, then they were silenced and found nothing to say. That's a good indication of guilt. You know, somebody just nails you and you just can look like I, I got no, I got no rebuttal. For that. I got no, I got no argument against it. It is true. And it says they were silenced. They had nothing to say. There was nothing they could say against when Nehemiah had just spoke to them. Verse nine, it says, then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemy? And Nehemiah challenges them. He says, look, what you guys are doing is not good. And he asks them a question. Should you not walk in the fear of our God. Now, people differ on um, what they think it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to I clarify that for us. When the Bible says that we're to walk in the fear of the Lord, it's a reverential fear. And it's not that we're terrified of God, but there's times when you ought to be terrified of God. If you get on the wrong side of God, will he not spank you? 
Will he not punish you? That's who he is. And so, you know, that, that should keep you that sometimes is that. It's just my awareness of his sovereignty, my awareness of his ever-presentness, that if I walk in the fear of God, that's going to help me be a holier man. There's some things I'm just not going to do. Because even though you can't see, I walk in the fear of the Lord. God can see. God sees what I'm thinking before I do it. Amen? He's everywhere present at the same time. And so if we walked in the fear of God, there'd be some things we just wouldn't do. The way I treat people would be impacted if I'm just aware. There's an awareness of the fear of the Lord. And so Nehemiah calls them, you know why you guys did this? You guys don't fear the Lord. That's usually at the heart of most sin and rebellion. You get someone that's walking in rebellion, someone that knows better, but they're not doing better. Someone that is living in sin and, and just taking, just, just, just doing whatever they want to do. You find this in the church many times. You find people that feel like, you know, God is just gracious and merciful and he, he just forgives and I just can continue to do whatever. And you realize that now you, you don't fear the Lord. And oftentimes those are people that God will give a wake-up call. Something will happen. Something will happen. God, if, if they belong to the Lord, God has a way about bringing you and I back to a place where we reverence him once again. Nehemiah here checks them on this. I says, should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations? Um, he said, look, it's how it makes us look to the, these pagan nations and our enemies. We're doing this in front of adversaries and enemies. We have war behaving like this among ourselves. And so verse 10 and 11 now says, I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. Nehemiah calls for something pretty radical. And most times, repentance will be radical. There's going to be real change. It's going to be radical change. And this would be, this would be very radical. He says, look, first of all, um, he lets them know that him and his servants are lending money. Now, he's not lending money for usury. He's not lending money for a profit. Um, but he said, look, I've been lending in order to help people out in a hard time. But he says, look, let this usury stop. And so you guys have already taken more than you should have from them. So this is how you're going to fix it. Restore now to them, he said, even this day. So some of them, some of these Jews... They had someone else's vineyard, someone else's land, someone else's home, someone else's kids. They said, give it all back today. And don't just give it back. Give it back with some of the money that you overtook while you had it. And give them some grain so they have something to eat. Because why should there be people among us that are suffering and poor while you're over here balling and rich off of them, off of taking advantage of them? He said, this, this got to end today. And it's It's radical. And this is what repentance looks like, right? What you guys did wrong, you're going to stop it today, and you're going to make it right. I don't know anybody here has ever had to repent of something. Uh, I know when I first came to God, there were lots of things to repent of, and some of it was very radical. There was no nice way. You know, one of the first things God called me when I gave my life to Christ, God made it very clear, you're not going to walk with all, the, all your old friends and walk with me. It's not going to be possible. And, you know, I had a lifetime of friends that were like me, we're non-believers. We drank together. We sinned together. We did all kinds of stuff together. Then I got born again, and God was like, no, nah, I want you to come out from among them and be separate. I tried a couple times to, like, let me see if I can do both. 
And what I found out very quickly was, I can't do both. That fallen nature, he's very quickly drawn back into the old stuff. And so God was like, you can't do both. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us here today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of Nehemiah. Do you ever feel like every time you step into your calling, life gets really, really hard? Nehemiah knew what it was like. Partway through the work of rebuilding the wall, the people encountered opposition, and it became necessary to defend themselves while they worked. Nehemiah 4.21-23 says, So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapon at his right hand. Nehemiah faced a physical threat to the people, but you and I will face a spiritual one. A spiritual threat requires spiritual weapons, like prayer, praise, and worship. Don't forget to keep them at your right hand all the time. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Are you in the area? We'd love for you to come and see us this Sunday. We meet at 9 and 11 a.m. For the rest of the information you need, head over to CalvaryInglewood.org. Once again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. And if you're not in the area, be sure to catch our live stream this Sunday. Thank you, and we'll see you again on A Transforming Word.